Wave pool technology is progressing at a rapid rate, and commercially surfable wave pools are opening around the world. Welcome to the Wave Pool Mag podcast. My name is Nick Robinson, and through my guests, we take a detailed look at this fascinating new game. Check us out on wavepoolmag.com. For your curiosity and stuff. Welcome to the first ever Wavepool Mag podcast, and thanks so much for joining us. We're really, really stoked to get this on the road. I'm interviewing Brian Dickerson, who started Wavepool Mag about a year ago. Um, so that is in 2018. He, get, he got this whole thing going because of the growing Wavepool industry. In this interview, we'll question Brian all about his motives, why he's doing it, what, what he's covering, what's it about, some dynamics of the site exactly and the analytics, what's going on behind the site, how it's growing so radically and so quickly, uh, and also where Brian comes from and what he's all about. So without further ado, we're interviewing him because he's living in France at the moment, as you'll find out, and I'm living in Portugal. So we're interviewing each other over the internet, which is great. That's the beauty of modern podcasts. So you can interview anybody in the world. So most of the people that I interview over the course of this podcast series will be from around the world. So let's get straight into it. Brian, thanks so much for joining us. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, Nick. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Yeah, I'm sitting here in Portugal, um, loving the sunshine. Whereabouts are you? Uh, I'm in uh, Pays Basque, France, so uh, near the Spanish border, southwest. Um, yeah, small town uh, out in the hills called uh, Asparan. Sounds beautiful. So how did you get there? Because obviously you sound like you're from the States. Yeah, yeah. I grew up in California, grew up in Huntington Beach, uh, lifelong surfer, lived in San Francisco the past 25 years, and uh, family and I were, were ready for a change. The city got a bit too, uh, too just different, didn't uh, really align with our values in terms of day-in, day-out life. Um, was a bit too hectic, so we decided to relocate overseas. And at the time, I was um, working for a company called Surfers Village. So I was, uh, they had an office here in Biarritz. So um, yeah, it all it all worked out, and it was time for a change. Oh, that sounds exciting! It must have been an incredible move. But surely, if at that stage, weren't you just keen on moving into the country and, and heading further south down the coast in California? What what uh, inspired the move to France? Was it that Surfers Village? Um, it, it, it was mostly my, my partner. She uh, wanted, she's always wanted to live in France and uh, we had lived here previously when our kids were, were really small and um, we had wanted to come back and it was just a, a good time to do that. So uh, yeah, yeah, we jumped and uh, it's uh, stressful, nerve-wracking, and uh, you constantly ask yourself, "What the hell am I doing?" <laughs> <laughs> but hopefully, it was worth it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it yeah, it is worth it, and it's it's just all the little things in terms of uh, declined stress levels uh, day in day out that um, you know, and it's, it, it's just beautiful, and there's history here, and there's a wonderful quiet when you can't understand everything that's being said around you. And uh, I, I really value that. <laughs> uh, that's excellent. Yeah, because I have a similar situation moving from South Africa to Portugal. Yeah, so, uh, a lot of lot of parallels there. But let's go back again. And and do you recall your your first surfing experience? Um, yeah, I remember my first uh, green wave. It was uh, 
on a um, I had this yellow transition era shortboard, um, one of the ones with the big humps uh, over the fin and a big long reiki greeno fin. I think it was mid 70s, and um, I had caught a whitewater and uh, it reformed. And uh, the feeling uh, in French, it's the uh, l'église, uh, just that sliding feeling when the whitewater subsided and uh, there was a, a swell under my feet. And uh, I still, I'm talking about it now and I can feel that sensation in my feet. And that's uh, pretty much what I've been pursuing the rest Exhilarating. <laughs> since Exhilarating. then. Yeah. So and, where was and, that in California? Yeah, yeah. That was in Huntington Beach where I, where I grew up. And then after that, it was the you know typical story. You're just every uh, hour you can spend, you're you're at the beach, you're surfing, you're chasing surf. It's like a drug. Yes, yes, without um, certain side effects. <laughs> I think the side <laughs> effects are more like financial ruin, and uh, you can't hold a, a typical job. But um, it's yeah, it's it's a wonderful thing to pursue. Was it was it like that for you? I'm, I I want to know your story too yeah i mean when i was um when i was 14 my brother had this long blue i think it was about like a seven foot six board and uh and he was all cool chilling on the beach enjoying himself and i thought well hey i want to be cool too let me go down to the beach with him <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he pushed me into a wave and i was like wow this is such an incredible feeling exactly like you you experienced l'eglise mm -hmm. whatever it was and just that feeling of sliding down the face was was amazing i mean i didn't do any surf instruction at all i just messed around the waves until i, I got it right i mean i still haven't really yeah. got it right but uh, yeah <laughs> um i just i love it so much and i just get every chance i can i just get out into the waves and but more recently um i've started to as i've got older because i'm approaching 50 start um started to use stand-up paddle uh, boards in the surf a lot more which is mm -hmm. a whole lot easier for an old man like me yeah but uh i think keeps uh, you in great shape too Exactly. Yeah, that's great. But um, yeah, just sliding down the face of the wave is an unbelievably exhilarating feeling. Yeah, it's and uh, you, you just want to do that more and more, which, uh, yeah, led to as we get older, um, both around the same age and having that uh, realizing that, you know, 20 years from now, <laughs> we're not going to be as mobile. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so something like an artificial environment like uh, wave pools is a definite option. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. Um, so I just want to ask you a quick question as well. Is that before we obviously get into wave pools because mm -hmm. that's that's the major subject we're going to tackle today. But um, when did you realize that you could actually work in the surfing industry as well as um, as have fun? Oh. It, um, when I, right when I got out of college uh, at Cal Poly on the central coast of California, a friend of mine, she had a, a quarterly women's surf publication and they needed a managing editor. And I had been at the school's daily paper, one of the few colleges with a daily newspaper. So um, you, you, you cut your teeth pretty quick when you're on deadline, you know, in a room full of people typing. So. Uh, I was able to bring that experience to the kind of leisurely pace of a quarterly publication, but still having all the um, AP style and uh, structure uh, from from an academic background uh, to bring to the magazine. So that was um, that was a good fit, and we 
put out a, f a few issues for a couple of years, and then when that subsided, we, we came to France for the first time and uh, started working for Surfer's Village. I met a man named Bruce Bull, who's uh, very much a character in, in this part of the world, a uh, uh, loud, boisterous Irishman who um, loves, loves to chat. You, you could do a five-hour podcast with him, Nick. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Yeah. <laughs> Looking forward to it. <laughs> so, so Surface Village, um, was that – what exactly was that? I mean, was it a, a, a real magazine? It wasn't a blog. It wasn't online. It was no, it was, it was really interesting. In the, um, in the like Y2K days, it got a lot of funding uh, from various sources. And uh, it was just all the press releases, all the contest results. Because his, uh, his son was a competitive surfer, Tim Bull, and uh, so he wanted to get the brand news out there, get the contest news out there. And, um, the, you know, the World Wide Web, the Internet, was, was relatively new. So he would just have a, uh, a news scroll. So you'd go to the site and it would just be a list of headlines. So it was, in a lot of ways, it was Twitter before there was Twitter. So people would log on on their desktop, you know, modem dial-up, and uh, look at all the uh, all the news stories and contest results. And within the surfing industry, it became a go-to uh, website. Everyone would check it every morning, see what's going on, and there were ten to twenty news stories each day. And he had hired me part time to uh, just post content. You know, post the press release, come up with a headline. Uh, later on, he added photos, so I would, you know, size and do the photos for it. Uh, so I got pretty good at headlines. And um, at the time, it was funny. I, I was like, oh, this, this isn't journalism. This isn't serious. I, I miss being a writer. And uh, that was, um, yeah, so I, I, found, I found other ways to, to satisfy that part. Uh -huh. So you did work for other... For other um, legitimate outlets, as it were, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, I did, yeah. yeah. I did some uh, stuff. There was at, at the time there was a local weekly paper I worked for uh, in San Luis Obispo, and then there was uh, I did a few articles for the Surfers Journal, and um, yeah, yeah, kept kept busy. But the uh, day in day out of a global news cycle is uh, is pretty maddening, and it doesn't leave a whole lot of free time. I'm sure. I'm sure. You can ask anybody at CNN. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. So um, did Surface Village make it through the 2008 financial crisis? Um, barely. They uh, unfortunately launched a, a yearbook at the time, which um, was it coincided exactly with the financial crisis. And uh, so no one, it was a big, heavy, elaborate publication that, um, you know, it, it Unfortunately, no one wanted to spend fifty dollars on a on a book that rehashed all the digital news from the prior year. And plus, there's about a six month lag between uh, the end of the year, editing the content, writing the content, getting it together, and then putting it out there. Uh, Phil Jarrett was the editor for that publication, so I got to work with him, and uh, he he did a great job, but. Uh, the lag and the financial crisis just uh, kind of killed it. So yeah, the financial crisis was was difficult for uh, a lot of the industry. Yeah, I mean, I was just reading about Billabong and Quicksilver, and they obviously really struggled. And mm -hmm. but in your opinion, do you think the surf industry has recovered from that? Um, 
Yeah, and it, when you when you say recovered, it's um, interesting to to see how the different uh, models have come about. I mean, now I think companies are a lot smarter. And uh, right before the financial crisis, it was just kind of the era of big dumb corporations. <laughs> you know, b- bigger is better. Let's see how how far we can go, how far we can spread our product. Um, and the more you sell, the better. And I think now companies are, are rethinking that, um, which is great, which is great to see. You, you just don't want a big rolling capitalism in the sense that um, buying without uh, thought to what you're buying or the repercussions of how it's produced and, and all the other uh, minutia that comes in a, in a basic consumer decision. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I'll um, stop myself before I go off onto a, another area there, which, which is quite easy for me to do. Yeah, there's a lot of scope in that uh, area. But anyway, okay, so let's get it back on track. So um, during your time working for, for Surface Village and then, then after Surface Village, you must have met some, some rather influential people in the surfing industry. Who have you come across? Yeah, yeah. I think um, more like characters, uh, I think being... You would always get uh, emails, you know, from people saying, oh, this, you know, there's uh, this, I, I've started my brand and we sell, you know, socks with uh, embroidered surfers on it. And we're really, you know, we're going to be the next billabong. And so people would come up with that and you'd have to uh, be very uh, democratic and, um, you know, declining to to run a full story on it. But we're actually, we're pretty good because any Thing that came up, you would we would post uh, if it was a properly formatted press release that was, uh, you know, you, you could read that just wasn't run through a translator. Um, I, I think the most interesting was stuff we had a forum for a while, and uh, we Jordy Smith's mom was on there a lot. <laughs> Lou, yeah. And because um, Jordy was just coming up, he was a Grom, and she was, you know, really vocal supporter, like any parent. And uh, she, the the forum was just brutal, brutal to her. And uh, then there is in the same forum there was some uh, English within the English surfing district. The you have the, uh, the they're battling amateur organizations. You had two amateur organizations each trying to be the amateur organization for for British surfing and uh, they were just nasty and uh, you know calling everyone out anyone out and uh, people were accusing others of embezzling and it was um, but I mean it's unbelievable I was listening to a podcast yesterday and I don't want to really mention the name of the podcast but these guys were really ripping into the WSL and saying what an absolute farce it is and everything and to be honest, personally, I think the WSL has done amazing things for, for surfing. Um, and I just... Yeah, and that's always funny because the, the same people will, will rip into it until, you know, the Chopu contest starts and then they're tuning in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and basically, WSL is probably the reason why they may be able to do their podcast in the first place because it's all they talk about. Yeah, yeah. But that's a whole other issue. I'm just fascinated with the whole, obviously, joining you in this conquest to, or this uh, this quest to uncover all the interesting news about wave pools. Mm-hmm. Was there a particular moment when you had the idea for starting Wave Pool Mag? 
Yeah, yeah. Actually, it was um, it, it was one of those things. There, there, there are a few moments in your life where something just clicks, and you're like, "Yeah, that's it. This is the right thing to do." And it was when uh, Surfers Village uh, Parent Company, uh, Extreme Media, had gone into bankruptcy. So they, um, yeah, they were bankrupt, and they could no longer fund the the website. So Surfers Village ceased, and uh, I had to start something and. I had known like every wave pools, like the, the analytics part, um, they were very popular. Uh, they would get a lot of web traffic, but also just the curiosity. And our um, motto is for your curiosity and stoke, because that's what wave pools are this wonderful balance of. Everyone's curious about them, like they're coming up, what kind of technology. And then the other part, which is... Um, you know, it's, you're just stoked. It's like that wave looks good. So you want to do it. So all that combined became, uh, the impetus for, for starting the website. And, and around the same time, I, uh, did a feature article for Australian surf business magazine for, um, uh, yeah, the, the, the main feature there. And, um, did that get quite a lot of response that? Article? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the uh, Keith over at ASB um, said it was one of their more popular articles, and in doing that, I was um, I, I I was able to speak with the folks at Wave Garden, Surf Lakes, and um, kind of establish uh, connect communication channels into those entities. So thank you, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, I mean you've experienced phenomenal growth already on this platform. Why Why do you think that is? Is it just because of the curiosity? Um, yeah, it's mostly curiosity. Um, it's interesting. The, the stuff that gets the most traffic is new is whenever a new wave pool is popping up. So um, people want to know if one is coming close to them, um, what technology is being used, uh, that content, as well as surprisingly... Um, just the basic uh, in information. So like uh, choosing the right surfboard, choosing the right wetsuit, uh, finding a board that's a good between beginner and intermediate uh, surfboard. Those are heavily trafficked as well. Okay. Uh, so recently something just happened in North Carolina. Um, I think it was, was it maybe it was South Carolina, actually. South Carolina, Myrtle Beach. South Carolina. So the most important stories on on WavePool Mag are generally when new wave pool, uh, when new wave pools launch. So what are, which is the most popular stories that you've had recently? Um, for ones that are launching, everyone wants to know about Palm Springs uh, because there are two, possibly three wave pools opening there. And uh, it's close to uh, Los Angeles. It's only a couple hours drive without traffic. Um, problem is there's lots of traffic and I think it makes it about a five hour drive. But um, there's a lot uh, happening there. Uh, one, you know, is is more like a resorty type uh, uh, high end Wave Garden Cove, and the other is uh, Shane Magnuson's uh, project. He was the manager at BSR Surf Resort in Texas, and he and his partners have purchased a uh, an old water park, and they're going to convert the wave pool there to a surfing wave pool. And um, I'm really, really curious to see what Shane does because he's, uh, he, he's 
he's he's kind of like uh, approaching genius level in terms of he he ran all the waves at BSR and he came up with a lot of the combinations that they they still use today and now he just saw this old wave pool and he's like uh, yeah yeah I can ma- I can make that surfable. Um, I mean, I've got no idea what his relationship with with American wave machines is like, but surely it, it must be a little bit restraint of trade and all that kind of stuff. Oh man, that is. Um... I don't know because uh, you're de- dealing with private intellectual property. So I don't know if he, yeah, if he saw something and, oh, we'll just do it like this. Or if, um, or if American Wave Machines is uh, involved in it, if they're putting in the, um, the technology, because everyone's usually pretty hush-hush about all this. So... Well, yeah. That's a massive thing, the technology at the moment. I mean, if you were to pick a technology, obviously most people would go with WaveGarden because it's probably the most, um, I don't know, or would they? Um, that's tough. If, uh, if I were in an area with a small, small footprint, um, you know, you don't have a whole lot of space, I'd, I'd go with uh, WaveGarden or American Wave Machines, um, like in Waco. Uh, WaveGarden says they have a lot of variety, and we've seen some in clips, but visually, when you look at the difference in waves, uh, American Wave Machine technology, you can see there is a lot of difference in the waves that they're throwing out. So I think American Wave Machines would win in the, the difference, the uh, variety of waves, um, but WaveGarden Cove would win in the um, consistency and cl- water quality um, coming through uh, through the waves. So in a small footprint, uh, depending on what you want. Um, and, and that's another thing. There's, there's no clear winner. It's kind of uh, just a matter of taste, you know, like going to a restaurant, what are you going to order? You know? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Surf Lakes is, uh, is, is, is Surf cutting Lakes, edge technology right I, now. Yeah. I love it's it, It's this big mammoth of a wave pool, which, you know, if, if you've got tons of land you got a big open space you have a lot of money to put down it could be the thing where you attract hundreds and hundreds of surfers each day into this giant uh structure just to surf and have a good time line the lake with barbecues with with uh restaurants and and cafes and just create a destination and i really um hope aaron and the crew uh you know, get it together and, and wish them all the success because it really is a brilliant technology. And um, they're, yeah, they just released a, uh, they just turned it up to 11 the other day and uh, sent a bodyboarder out on the slab. If you remember the video edits, there's a slab setting that uh, nailed Parco. <laughs> Joel Parkinson got trashed by it. And uh, they sent a bodyboarder out and uh, he was able to surf it at full full volume. So, so they got a 2.4 meter wave apparently going there. Yeah, yeah, that's what they claim, which which I don't know how you measure that on a slab because you look at the face and it's still, you know, four foot of slab face is five times as much water as three feet of slab face. You know, it, there's so much back to the wave that it's uh, really difficult to, to measure. Sure, but it appears to be the biggest artificial, or, the, or not necessarily the biggest, but the most perfect artificial wave created so far. You know what? I didn't. You need to write for us because that is a good angle. I didn't 
think of approaching it that way. <laughs> and I always try to try to shy away. Of, you know, I get called out a bit on uh, hyperbole. So uh, I'm always trying to rein that in. But that is a, a really good angle. Thank you. Well, yeah, if you definitely if you speak to Surflex, they're, they're, they're saying this is the best one produced so far, which it may well be. But yeah. if you could pick, like say, for example, I was in, an, in a position to be able to grant you a ticket to go anywhere in the world and surf any wave pool currently open. Where mm-hmm. would you like to surf right now and, and why? Um, I think be, ooh, because it's open. I think I would spend a day at Kelly's, Kelly's Wave. Yeah. Uh, because it's you know it's perfect it's long it's boring to watch but you're not watching yourself surf you just want to surf so and because it is so um elite you know it's uh you can rent the place for 50 grand and uh you get 120 or 140 waves come through in the day so it works out to about 450 dollars a wave so if it was a uh, a free ticket, yeah, I would um, I would go to Kelly's Wave. Yeah, I think I'd join you there. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're welcome to. Let's, let's go. <laughs> okay, um, but I, you know, Nick Hansfield from the Wave in Bristol. I mean, they're just about to mm-hmm. open up, and I think it's in November now. Mm-hmm. Um, they're doing a lot of press at the moment, and he gave an inspiring and thought provoking talk last week in London, mm-hmm. and he mentioned that this wave pool space is growing so fast. He was concerned that many projects may not be as environmentally sound as they should be. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about the way wave pools should roll out? I mean, there's a project in Madrid in Spain that looks like, you know, you'd be surfing in a shopping center. Mm-hmm. How, how do you feel about how they should look and how they should be? Um, yeah, that's that's really a good que- question because we, there, we are at this juncture where um, you would, I, I went to some water parks with my kids uh, this summer. And uh, there's, you know, a lot of surf brands won't get behind something if it looks like an indoor water park. Um, they will get behind something if it looks like a wave, like a surfing destination. Um, I, I'm going to tie all this together, but I'm bringing in another component, which is uh, Phil Roberts, who designed wave pools in the, in the 90s and did this trippy artwork. And uh, he, he said something great. He said that, you know, we have a responsibility in, in building wave pools to bring people into surfing, to bring people into uh, this wonderful thing. And through that extension, they will understand the value of the ocean, the value of taking care of the environment. So through the act of surfing itself, um, one would hope uh, that people do have a bigger appreciation for the ocean and for doing the right thing environmentally in terms of uh, energy use and uh, land use. So there is kind of a split. If you build a big gaudy indoor water park with with surfing, it's like, yeah, that's great in uh, Hamburg in the wintertime, but um, it's not going to quite have the same uh, the same vibe. And it will use more more energy. But, you know, at the end of the day, you're like, it's, it's cold, it's snowing, I, I want to go surfing. <laughs> yeah. But so also, I mean, there's a danger, if you look historically at, at hotel resort developments, mm-hmm. I mean, some of them are just horrendous. I just had the opportunity to yeah. go and stay in one in the Caribbean, which was a bit of a mistake. Yeah. 
Uh, it's just horrendous, like this factory of tourism. And I just hope that doesn't happen to surfing. I'm sure it will in some certain yeah. areas, but there will be other places which I think will, will take care of the environment and, and promote environmental stability, sustainability. Yeah, and and even to that end, I think there will be, like, you know, right now, there's certain, uh, in your area, I know in my area in San Francisco, certain breaks uh, attract certain surfers. So, you know, you've got like the, the longboard break, you've got like the slabby break, you've got, you know, the, the beach on the big days. So everyone um, is, will associate themselves with a different type, a, a different break. And so I think you will have almost like these clicks where, oh, they're, yeah, they're a cove surfer. Or, oh, yeah, he's uh, you know, the CEO over there is, goes to Kelly's every weekend um, where there will be more of a breakdown so the if something is really audacious and energy wasting and um, not conducive to all the things we value in surfing then um i think people will be uh kind of ostracized for that <laughs> within the core surfing community absolutely yeah and it's uh that is a fascinating point of view on on the way people will, will surf wave pools because this do you do you feel that this is the future of surfing? Um, it's the future of wave pool surfing. Um, it will never be ocean surfing. I mean, it, it you know the the there's yeah yeah I have to mention that it's you know wave pool surfing will never compare to ocean surfing, and uh, you know I firmly believe that. Um, but you you can't go surfing in the ocean every day, so that's where wave pools come in, and the really exciting thing about that is the, um, the, the culture that will spring up around uh, wave pool surfing. So it's not going to replace ocean surfing. Um, I think it will become its own bizarre, twisted entity. There was, uh, I, I talked to the guys at Chemistry Surfboards who have uh, the pool toy surfboard. And um, they're, you know, they designed it with less foam under the chest because you're not paddling a whole bunch. So think about that and extend it to surfers. Like 10 years down the road, you've got people who grew up surfing in pools. Um, they're not going to look like surfers now. You know, we, we tend to have broad shoulders and, and strong backs. Um, they're they're going to look like skaters because everything will be, <laughs> you know, like just super buffed out legs because everything will be about maneuvers and turning on the waves. And not about paddling, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you'll be able to have two surfers. You can look at them physically and uh, tell if they're a wave pool surfer or an ocean surfer. Yeah. It'll <laughs> almost be like a different sport, I suppose. In a, in a, in yeah, a yeah. And, you know, it's like still you have that slide, that glease um, under your feet. You know, that's the sensation that attracts you to it. But there, there, I, I see this split um, happening. Uh, uh -huh. Okay, and with Wavepool Mag, mm -hmm. like, where do you see the content going with Wavepool Mag? What kind of content will you be writing about and will we be podcasting about over the next few uh, years? Yeah, well, it's um, basically I want it to be a, uh, a resource for people. So information on um, basic equipment, uh, what you need, because a lot of people are just being introduced to surfing through a Wavepool. A lot of people, uh, it's the gateway for a lot of people into surfing. So they need solid information on boards, wetsuits, equipment. Um, 
And that's one component. The other is uh, wave pools popping up and news and uh, what's happening. And then there's the, the other component that's, you know, the candy, the latest video clip, things that you want to see. And then the bigger uh, think pieces that we're doing, the features with uh, like patents, um, you know, patent infringement. We did a big feature on, on that. Um, cultural things like uh, Phil Roberts' art and uh, how he drew wave pools, you know, 25 years ago, and that has influenced design, you know, this many years later. That was amazing. (laughs) Yes. Incredible images, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, that stuff was great. So, um, yeah, for entertainment, um, but also, you know, like any good media that you come across, you, you, you consume it, and then when you're done and you walk away, you've, you've learned something. And you take that with you. Well, Brian, thanks so much. It's been amazing talking to you, understanding more about the wave pool, Meg. And I am really pumped and excited and stoked <laughs> for, for the future of this podcast. It's going to be thrilling. Excellent. Thank you so much, Nick. I really uh, appreciate you taking the time out and, uh, yeah, giving me, a, giving me a call. Excellent. Catch <laughs> you later. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is Brian Dickerson from wavepoolmag.com. So thanks for listening. Just a little bit about Wavepool Mag. Wavepool Mag is run by veteran surf journalists and industry personnel. With nearly two decades of surf-specific media experience, the staff at Wavepool Mag provide insightful, entertaining, and useful information on all things Wavepool related. Is this something you'd like to see on Wavepool Mag? Um, If you've got a story idea, whatever, just reach out to us at editor at wavepoolmag.com. And likewise, if you've got any ideas for the podcast as well, just feel free to email me. Um, mine is nick.wavepoolmag at gmail.com. Haven't got around to doing a wavepoolmag email address yet. But if, yeah, if you've got any ideas or anything like that, and also if you're starting your own wavepool, um, because we're finding a lot of people are reaching out to us because we've got tons of knowledge between the two of us, because I and I haven't said this publicly yet, but I am, along with a specialist team, uh, I am creating a wave pool in somewhere in Europe. So I'll mention a little bit more about that as it goes down the line, but it's a fascinating journey and there is so much to tell about it. But like I said, um, between Brian and I, we've got some incredible contacts in the wave pool industry and um, we are consulting for um, quite a few people on producing their wave pools. So if that's you, get in touch with us and we'll let you know what the deal is. Otherwise, ride the wave, man. (laughs) Just enjoy the dream. Live for the dream. And if anyone out there knows Ben Gravy, I've asked him, I've emailed him. He hasn't responded back yet. Please get him onto me. All you you Ben Gravy fans, I'd love to chat to Ben Gravy. He's such a cool guy. Anyway, have fun and enjoy the rest of your week and we'll see you next week.